Welcome to another podcast from the School of Surgery. Uh, I'm Steve Schlichtemeyer, colorectal fellow, and I'm here with Mr. Bill Speak, uh, consultant colorectal surgeon at the Royal Derby Hospital. Hi. Uh, we're here today to uh, talk to you about early rectal cancer. Uh, a lot of this is largely based on the recently published uh, ACP GBI guidelines from last year, uh, also with some good coverage of the ISCP general surgery cr- curriculum. So I wanted to, to welcome uh, Mr. Speak. Thanks very much, Steve. Um, so outline, we're, we're going to talk a little bit today, just get into some few basics, terminology and things. We'll then get into the, the ACP GBI guidelines. We'll talk also about multidisciplinary team meetings and, and how important they are. And we'll touch on some final items re- related to the, to the curriculum if, if time. Um, so without... Uh, too much more uh, introduction. We'll get on to some basics. Uh, so, Mr. Speak, if you could just outline us, you know, what what is rectal cancer, just from a from a early point of view. So, what we're talking about here really is cancer or adenocarcinoma in the rectum. Uh, the rectum has various definitions. Anatomically, you'd say it stretches from the anorectal junction up to the rectosigmoid junction, which is where the tinea coli fuse. Uh, as the sigmoid colon comes down. However, that's not very useful clinically. So a lot of people will define rectal cancer as a cancer within 15 centimetres of either the anal verge or the anorectal junction. The anal verge is sometimes a little bit of a woolly area and more and more people are going over to using the anorectal junction, which is a definite level and, and probably more useful clinically. Okay. Um, and, and how is rectal cancer typically typically diagnosed? So. Typically diagnosed with a specific history, which could be rectal bleeding, potentially a change in bowel habit, often more frequent or potentially looser. Uh, there is often or can be symptoms of tenesmus, which is, which is a variable symptom. Typically, if you look in textbooks, they'll say tenesmus is a, is a pathognomic sign of rectal cancer. I have to say that isn't the case in, in practice, um, but it is certainly a symptom that needs investigating. When you come to looking at investigations, um, often uh, a rectal examination will reveal the presence of an abnormality, but further investigations such as rigid sigmoidoscopy, flexible sigmoidoscopy, colonoscopy, or CT scans will pick up rectal cancer. More and more cancers are coming to the MDT and the clinical team via the bowel cancer screening program. And also we are seeing a steady trickle of cancers that are coming through as coincidental finding on imaging, you know, potentially a PET scan to stage a cancer elsewhere. Um, but through various routes, we are diagnosing rectal cancer. Okay. Um, and from a, I guess, from a trainee and medical student point of view, how, how important is the, the digital rectal exam in, in all of this? Is it very so, important? So I think, you know, some people may argue that rectal examination, once you've diagnosed rectal cancer, is less important than it was. And that might be the case. Uh, that's because we have ready availability and do MRI scan of the pelvis. However, I think PR is still key, certainly for mid and low rectal uh, cancers. You get so much more useful information. A surgical finger you know, will, will be able to tell you whether you really do think you can get away with a low anterior section or an AP. If we take things back a stage, if you're a GP, uh, seeing even a young patient with rectal beading, not, not doing a PR is, is probably undefendable um, because you can't say that this patient needs to be seen. You don't know if it's hemorrhoids or not, and certainly PR is key. The MR will tell you which quadrant of the rectum you're in, 
it will give you some idea about the tea stage. Great. Yeah, so that's all makes all pretty good clinical sense in terms of digital rectal exam. Um, you touched on it a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, investigations, rigid, flexible sigmoidoscopy. And can we talk a little bit more about the other imaging staging tests such as MRI, endorectal ultrasound, um, CT chest, abdomen, and pelvis? Certainly I see um, some centers have a preference for MRI. Some, te- some tend to use endorectal ultrasound as an adjunct. Um, can you give us a little bit of background about how one is selected over the other? So I think um, my personal feeling, and most centres would feel that for erectile cancer, they they need systemic staging, really, with a CT chest, abdomen, pelvis, and that's taken as red. For erectile cancer, we would generally add in an MRI scan. Now, the MRI will tell you quite good information about whether there's any lymph node enlargement around the mesorectum. It will also give you fairly good staging along the T staging, using the TNM uh, standard staging system. MRI is very good at looking at the potential for involvement of the mesorectal fascia and if you're likely to get away with a straightforward surgical resection or whether you need to add in additional or neoadjuvant chemoradiotherapy. However, MRI does fall down when you come to look at the T1, T2 interface and the endorectal ultrasound will give you a lot more information at that staging level. The problem of endorectal ultrasound on its own is it can't look very at the more advanced T-stage and it can't look at the lymph nodes. So I think the two are complementary, but that said, you don't need endorectal ultrasound for the larger T2, T3 surgical or chemoradiotherapy cases. It's more, it's very useful for the early rectal cancer cases, however. Okay, and, and just to, to wind that back just a little bit further, so rectal cancer still st- stage T, N, and M, and just to touch on some of the T1, T2, T3, just could you explain a little bit about the layers there and, and what each of those those means? Yeah, so broadly speaking, T1 um, is confined to the mucosa and submucosa, and I think when we come on to talk a little bit more early rectal cancer, that's worth expanding on. When we talk about T2, that goes into the muscle, and T3 is, is through the muscle, and obviously T4 can be cirrhosal involvement, uh, whether in the bare area of the rectum, or it can be involving the mesorectal fascia or adjacent organs. I think it's perhaps worthwhile talking a little bit about the T1 staging system when we, with early rectal cancer because it does help us work out whether we can locally resect something and, uh, safely or we should be looking at a more aggressive uh, or probably standard surgery with circumference or resection of the bowel wall with on-block lymph node harvest. So T1, I... The, the, the Kikuchi staging system is very useful here where we've got SM1, 2 and 3 and the SM refers to submucosa and the 1, 2 and 3 re- refers to the depth of invasion through thirds of that submucosa. So SM1, the first thirds involved, SM2, second third and SM3, all three thirds. Okay, and so Kikuchi, uh, we hear sort of Kikuchi versus Haggett. So Kikuchi is for flat polyps, is that correct? Yeah. And Haggett's for pedunculated yeah. polyps, is yeah. that? They are distinct systems. So they, they are, as you say, Kikuchi for flat or sessile polyps. Haggett is for staging pedunculated polyps. Okay, good. Well, that uh, I think that covers you know, most of the basics. Um, we'll now get into the, to the guidelines, if that's okay with, with you. Um, I guess there probably is a few definitions, but in terms of the, the guidelines, how do they define early rectal cancer? So I think 
it's fair to say there isn't a consensus, but a reasonable definition would be the lesions that can be safely removed without circumferential removal of the, the bowel wall. Uh, and in addition, you've got to hope that there is a low risk of local or distant recurrence. You know, turning it on its head, i.e. there would be an excellent prognosis with standard form or resection, and that they would call into question, is it worth putting your patient, or does the patient want to go through standard resection with the attendant risks and, and, and high probability of stomas, maybe low anterior resection syndrome. So it's balancing oncological certainty or good oncological control with the risks of, of, of major surgery. Okay, so, so it sounds as though standard TME is, is one uh, treatment option for early rectal cancer. Uh, and, and it would sound as though that is also largely in, in uh, fit, fit patients who are, who are not uh, really risk or, or, or stoma averse. Um, are there other treatment options that uh, for, for early rectal cancer discussed, discussed in the guidelines? Yeah, so th there are. And I think before, just to say uh, as a start, I think it's, it's important that you counsel your patient adequately here because we are increasingly using local re resection techniques transanally or even contact radiotherapy, which we'll come on to shortly. However, it's got to be, patients have got to be informed that these are as yet still really unproven techniques. They, in, in all probability, uh, uh, will be beneficial. However, we still have an element of uncertainty. So as you say, yeah, we do have um, various techniques and there's lots of acronyms come, becoming available. Endoscopically, so at flexible sigmoidoscopy or colonoscopy, advanced polypectomies, so endomucosal resection or endoscopic submucosal dissection, which uh, is becoming increasingly available, uh, can remove early rectal cancers. Often, um, it's more that you're removing a polyp and then you end up, the cancer comes back in that polyp, so you have a polyp cancer. Surgical options would include such things as TO or TAMIS or TEMS, which are all acronyms. TO uh, is trans, transanal endoscopic operation. TAMIS is transanal microinvasive surgery. TEMS is transanal endoscopic microsurgery again. The TO and TEMS are reusable kit. The TAMIS is a, is a, is a disposable kit uh, and uses most lap, a lot of laparoscopic, uh, laparoscopic equipment. Um, both have sort of pros and cons. Um, so in the low rectum, we can also do transanal uh, resections with such instruments as eyes and hammers and potentially Parks retractors. However, it, there's quite good evidence now that doing transanal resection in that way doesn't give you as good a specimen. The rates of recurrence are so much higher. The problems with the TEMS and TO and potentially the TAMIS as well is you can't get good inflammation in the lower rectum and you just don't have room to come very low. So a lot of people might combine approaches where they might start dissection under an early rectal cancer or, or advanced polyp with a transanal approach and then do the top end uh, with a TO or TEM approach or, or vice versa, of course. Okay. Um, I mean, from, from my perspective, it seems as though uh, you know, techniques such as EMR and ESD are, are largely done by gastroenterologists, whereas TEO, TAMIS and TEMS are largely done by, by surgeons. Is that your feeling? But we're all sort of going after the, the same area. Is that the yeah, same polyp? Is that your feeling? I, is think, you, I think you're right. And, and obviously techniques are improving all the time. I, I, I would say that EMR and ESD 
are done by colonoscopists. Yes, and okay. I wouldn't I wouldn't exclude surgeons from that. It's it's done with people with with a declared training and interest in that area. Um, and ESD is is the sort of the new technique that is becoming increasingly available. So I think that brings us to the next question. You're you're doing an endoscopy. You see a a polyp that that looks concerning, perhaps for an early rectal cancer. What's your what's your next step then as an endoscopist? So I think just to say that if you think this is a you know a, a sizable cancer, i.e. bigger than three centimeters, then clearly go ahead with standard standard treatments and biopsy biopsy that cancer. However, if you think if you're uncertain, it's a sizable polyp or maybe an early rectal cancer that we can locally excise. The difficulty with biopsying subsequently is it can render the the submucosal plane very fibrotic and and also implants out implant tumor cells to a deeper level. So in, in ideal circumstances, you wouldn't biopsy or do a focused biopsy, potentially from a dominant nodule or the most suspicious area. Good assessment uh, would include you know, washing the, the lesion well, assessing it along kudo pit patterns, which can give you a lot of idea whether this is actually a malignant or a benign lesion. Obviously, Paris classification, whether it's pedunculated or sessile or flat, is again useful. And having those those charts up on the wall in the endoscopy room is very helpful for, for endoscopists. I think another thing to talk about as well is whether you should tattoo or not. Now, if this is in the rectum, and we are for the purpose of this talking, talking about rectal lesions, I would not tattoo these lesions. It does make subsequent surgery very difficult. You can't tell if you've got a viable rectal stump or not. If, however, you have removed it and you want to mark the site, for subsequent assessment, then a tattoo is, is useful. And I think a plea really is, is if you're not sure in this setting, don't dabble. The first treatment for an EMR or an ESD or, or you know advanced polypectomy is the best treatment. Doing a piecemeal resection when you could do uh, an entire, remove an entire lesion on block is not good management and it makes subsequent pathological assessment very difficult. So I think that's the plea really for, for and take home messages for endoscopy. Okay. Thank you. Um, we touched on, on one term a few minutes ago, the, the Papillon technique. Uh, this is one of the options for, for early rectal cancer touched on in the guidelines. Um, could, could you just expand on that a little bit more and where that's offered, how that's done? Is that Yeah, so, so, so Papillon technique is actually contact radiotherapy that is directly applied through a rigid sigmoidoscope onto, onto the tumour. It's only appropriate for, for small tumours, about three centimetres. Um, obviously, it acts locally on the tumour if there is no distant spread, um, but it can be combined with external beam radiotherapy if that's so required. So it can be used up front um, to, to treat tumours in that way. Clearly, a biopsy is needed beforehand. One of the drawbacks, if you do that, is you don't have a pathological specimen. Obviously, you don't have nodes as well, but you don't have a, 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 the actual small tumour itself to allow prognostic uh, features to be assessed. It can also be used um, when you've done a local excision and you have found perhaps a margin is involved, so it could be used to tidy up the bases. But I think really it should probably be reserved for patients who are unfit uh, for, for further surgical resection. Okay, so unfit patients yeah. where they still uh, might get a cure, might get reasonable quality of life and get, get reasonable function. It's a, it's a good risk-benefit risk, risk yep. trade-off. Um, and, and so is that, 
is that offered throughout the world or is there just a multiple a few centers throughout the world yeah. that, that offer it is certainly in the uk there the, the initial center was Catterbridge. it was uh, professor sunny mint there uh, and then but there are increasing numbers um of centers developing locally and I think most centres, and I'm sure they will, but we, we need data on this treatment technique. It is probably one of the most unproven of the early rectal cancer techniques. And, I, and I, if you are referring patients to these centres, or even doing this, then we should be looking at gathering data. And, and the Guildford database, which is coordinated by the, the, the centre in Guildford, who, do, who treat with local radiotherapy, uh, do coordinate a national database on that. Okay, and I guess as you say, the main disadvantage is you're not you're not tre- treating or harvesting the lymph nodes, so you're not sure of the, the yeah. lymph node status. That and also the polyp itself, because as we'll perhaps talk about shortly, when we have a, a, a an early rectal cancer specimen that we have resected transanally, or as an EMR and it's come back as a surprise finding, we can prognosticate on whether there is the likelihood of persistent or recurrent disease. Yes. So that so that really brings me to the to the next question. So if you're looking at one of these lesions, and you've you've you know you've got its T1 or T2 and or it's been excised, is is there a way you can can calculate a risk of lymph node metastases in these in these patients? So I think we, we've one of the things we use and refer to a lot at RMDT is the ACP GBI position statement, the 2014 paper. On the management of the malignant colorectal polyp by by Williams and et al. And it's a very useful table in there, which is table 17, and it will give you a, a, a prognostic index about whether there is likely to be persistent or recurrent disease, either be that locally or uh, in the mesorectum or even distant disease. And it looks at various things, you know, is your margin involved? What's the Kikuchi staging? What's the Haggit staging? Is there tumour budding? Is there lymphovascular invasion? Uh, and you can give an estimate of, of the potential risk for recurrent disease, which, if you use the table, will give you between less than 3% and more than 20%. And I, and, and I find this very useful to actually show to patients and say which group they're in. That, of course, has got to be balanced against the patient's comorbidities and indeed their wishes, because some patients might be very risk averse and not be not not want to have any risk of persi- persistent disease or other patients may accept that they have got a number of comorbidities and are happy to carry on as they are with close monitoring okay well we might uh, we might finish up with the guidelines there and just briefly talk about multidisciplinary teams certainly a lot of what we've talked about the uh, the diagnosis, the choices for treatment, it, it sounds pretty complex. And I imagine a lot of these decisions are made uh, within the context of M- MDTs. Is that your understanding? Yeah, I think more and more, um, this is this is becoming increasingly complex. And you can imagine you might have a fit patient with a small cancer, low in the rectum, uh, and they could be facing permanent stomas or major morbidity with major resection they may have many options. They could have an, a, a TO, or they could have contact radiotherapy, or they could have neoadjuvant chemoradiotherapy followed by a TO, or they could have contact radiotherapy. This becomes very complex, and you do need potentially all the experts to be involved to advise that, that patient. And therefore, increasingly, we are seeing early rectal cancer MDTs developing nationally. Um, most regions will certainly have one, if not two, and I would, I would commend that, that, that 
normal colorectal MDTs do feed into those and interested parties attend uh, and therefore patients can be offered all the options that are available, which clearly we should be doing. Okay. Uh, and so in, in fit patients, it sounds, I mean, just from, from a big picture point of view, in fit patients uh, that we'd be leaning towards towards gold standard TME surgery, is that the... Yeah, I think that is, still has to be the standard of care. Uh, and, and to stray away from that, patients have to be fully counselled as to, to why why they're doing that or, or what their options are. Um, yeah. And so the the cure rates are higher, the recurrence rates are lower, but there is the attached higher morbidity and mortality. Is that yeah. and certainly the, the risk of stoma with rectal lesions is, is, is very high. Uh, the risks are obviously greater with a, a, a rectal cancer resection because it's a bigger operation. There's also, to throw into the mix, the risk of impotence, bladder dysfunction, the risk of low anterior resection syndrome. So the quality of life after low anterior resection is, is not always great. So it seems that the follow-up for, for gold standard TMA surgery is pretty well established, but let's say you've done um, one of the other techniques, either a local excision or contact radiotherapy or even external beam. How does your follow-up change change for, for these patients? Is it more, more intense? Yeah, I think we do have a, a standard protocol where we, we have regular endoscopy. Um, that, that might be possible with rigid sigmoidoscopy in clinic, but often your prep's not great. So nine times out of 10, we'll end up doing a flexible sigmoidoscopy alongside a CEA, blood serum estimate, and alongside an MRI. And that should really be at a minimum of six monthly for three years to try and look for local relapse or recurrence. The guidelines say it should be three to six monthly, but it's a minimum six monthly. Now that should be alongside your standard colorectal cancer follow-up. So most patients, if they have a flexible sigmoidoscopy, should have instead of that at 18 months or a year colonoscopy and then colonoscopy five, year, five yearly. And our current policy is to do a CT at 18 months and three years for these patients. Okay, great. Um, well, that's, that's, I think we've covered a fair, fair bit here today. Um, is there any sort of summary or take-home take home messages that we wanted to leave, uh, leave people with? So I think, yeah, early rectal cancer, there are new and hopefully sufficient techniques to adequately manage early rectal cancer. However, it is still unproven, and I think patients need to be aware of that fact, and standard formal resection still remains the gold standard. But with counselling and appropriate awareness of your risks and benefits, these techniques are certainly possible and, and may well be the, the right thing for your patient. I think if you want to know more, the ACP GBI 2017 guidelines on the management of colorectal cancer are very useful. And also the management of a malignant colorectal polyp, also ACP GBI guidelines in 2014, are useful too. There is a national drive, which is the significant polyp early colorectal cancer uh, initiative led by the Pelican Foundation and some very useful summary data that is available through their website, which is also useful. So thanks very much, Steve. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Speak, for your time and, and for all your, your advice and wisdom. Uh, that's all from us here at the School of Surgery for now. Thank you for listening to another podcast brought to you by School of Surgery. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook at School of Surgery, on iTunes, on Podomatic at schoolofsurgery.podomatic.com, and finally, by searching School of Surgery on YouTube. Thank you very much, and see you next time.